0: good morning Grace Chapel welcome isn't it great to be together this morning yes I am NOT Tom Blakelock I'm Willie Frederick Uh, listen to God's invitation this morning to worship him from Psalm 100 shout for joy to the Lord all the earth worship the Lord with gladness his faithfulness continues through all generations. Uh, we will pray together, but I want to start the prayer with uh, a concern that Carol LaFort brought forth. As she was traveling south on the Northway this morning, she saw a huge, terrible accident um, at about exit seventeen eighteen, and there were helicopters and vehicles and all kinds of things going on. So. If you wouldn't mind, let's just pray together for that situation. Heavenly Father, we come before you because you are the God of all the earth, and you are aware of what's happening right there, right now. We pray for the people who have been injured. We pray for the responders, and we pray for the people who've witnessed this. And we ask you our comfort, your presence, to be there with them, that those that haven't known you will come to know you that those who do know you will call upon you and that you will be glorified even in this terrible accident. Father, we just thank you. And Father, for our service, we pray that as we worship you this morning, we will glorify you with our whole beings. We worship you, the great I am. It is our joy to respond to your invitation to be with you to spend time fellowshipping with you, to enjoy your presence. Father, we do desire to know you more. May our hearts be enlarged by your word, our love be increased by your truth, and our very beings be nourished by your presence. Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Thank you, Willie. Good morning all, it's good to see you here. Would you please stand with us as we worship together? So we're gonna start with a new song that's really an old song from about 20 years ago that Michael W. Smith put a melody to the Lord's Prayer. And it's actually um, directly from the King James Version. And um, there's some repetition and some changes, so I just pray this can be a worshipful experience for you as it is for us.
2: you, sure. I
1: through the valley of the shadow of death we need you we need to know your presence and lord we want to want to reach out to you and and confirm that you are our life and you are our strength and you are our hope amen
3: I
2: finally trust your presence is enough to speak light in my darkness. Speak life till I know there's strength for my weakness. Slow down, oh my soul.
3: global Christians
4: with a global vision because our God is a global God.
5: Perspectives on the World Christian Movement is a 15 week class that will change your life, it will change your perspective, it will give you a new fresh look at the world and it will blow your mind to see all that God is doing. I was
4: really cold about what was going on in the world. I felt like I'd had a missionary bypass. When the Perspectives course was announced, it was a pretty serious commitment, but we really had the plaque blown out of our arteries.
3: started and after the first week was hooked and really was interested in the materials, the speakers.
5: The speakers, it's pretty amazing. Fifteen people gifted at their ministry have stopped and taken the time to uh, speak out Perspectives.
4: And the course you learn about contemporary missionaries, things that are really going on all over the world now and it's so exciting.
5: We actually took the Perspectives class which is in fact. 15 weeks, and I'm going to say some of the best 15 weeks we've ever had. The uh, curriculum is rich. Uh, It contains a number of different writers, authors. They're very diverse, whether it was a John Piper uh, writing or some of the great uh, missionaries in the history. I felt like it prepared us to go to China.
3: You might be skeptical about whether you're going to learn anything or not, but I promise you, you will. We
4: just learned so much. It really just blew the parameters wide open in our thinking. It
5: is the most significant tool for any church to mobilize people to live missionally. All the resources of the Almighty Triune God are at the missionaries' disposal. Perspectives is not just for missionaries. We're all called with the Great Commission, on some level we're all called to do something, whether it be to pray, whether it be to go, whether it be to send, whether it be to welcome. You can live missionally in your own, in your own community, in your extended community. Perspectives is very good at helping us get a sense of what is the call. Concrete ways to to find out. Well, what is? What are my strengths? How how can I how can I use what I naturally have,
6: what I've been given?
5: for the extension of his kingdom. But it's not just a world missions class, it's an urban missions class. It's a class for people who are involved in businesses mission. It's a class for people who don't care about missions, who think it's not for them, because I think that it will change your paradigm.
3: You might be reluctant to take a 15-week course, but trust me, you will leave a changed person. So my name is Mark, and I'm the Deacon of Missions here at Grace Chapel, and Perspectives on the World Christian Movement is one of the best classes on missions in the world, and it's coming to Clifton Park. Several years ago, Grace Chapel hosted one of these classes, and we had several people participate. Um, Jamie was one of those people, so I asked Jamie to come and just talk about how the class impacted his life. So uh, Mark
7: asked me to uh, say a few words. Uh, everything you saw up there was true. Everything that Mark said was true too. So those are my few words. <laughs> but I'll go on. Uh, this course really was life changing. Uh, it's rare to have a, uh, a curriculum like this in the capital district area, and even more so, it's, it's close to us over at Faith Baptist. Uh, it is a commitment, but with a commitment. the uh, The resources, uh, the riches you take back are totally invaluable. Uh, Some of the unique things about the uh, coursework is they bring in outside speakers. Um, Greg was one of them before he came to this area, so you know it's gotta be good. (laughs) He represents uh, one of many that they do bring in over this time. And uh, the resources of the material that are presented uh, are totally tops. They choose some of the best that is out there. So I've read a lot of mission books, a lot of uh, articles and so forth, but this is concise, bringing all the stuff together. Uh, It is a commitment, 15 weeks is a long time. Um, But again, if you gotta take a vacation, things come up, Uh, those things can happen, because I know I did it too. So the commitment was uh, something which, uh, it, it did take some time but uh, it's life changing. I think David was known uh, as a man after God's own heart. In a nutshell, the heart of God is missions. If you aren't connected to knowing that, um, you're really missing out on something. I someday wanna be known as a man after God's own heart, and I think this uh, coursework will certainly bring you a whole lot closer to that.
3: Thanks, Jamie. So the upcoming perspectives class is going to be taught at Faith Baptist. It starts on January 9th. Uh There are 15 classes taught by 15 different instructors. Jamie talked about that. Don Simmons, for instance, is one of the instructors, this time talking about community development. Um, in, in my opinion, it's, it's the best part of the class is the readings. As Jamie said, they're by some of the best mission leaders in the world. Um, there is a cost for the class, but the Missions Committee is willing to subsidize the cost for anyone from Grace Chapel who would like to attend, so please don't um, let that hold you back. It's also possible to get college credit for the class, if that's interesting to you. Um, it's not just for people that want to be missionaries, it's for all of us. You know, I think this is the class, a class that every Christian should take some time during their Christian journey. It will literally change your perspective on the whole world. So if you're interested in more information, I'll be in the back, and you'll see things um, in Grace Notes and in the newsletter and things like that through the next two months. But please come back and, and talk to me if you're interested. Thanks very much.
8: Thank you, Abby. I, I, what's the cool thing to say nowadays? That's epic or something like that? I'm not <laughs> quite sure. I just don't know how Tom is up here with these young kids. I don't understand that. So anyway, I was gonna, my job here is to do the church announcements. Um, I was going to do them as uh, Mike, Mike Sicosho, kind of an impersonation, but I'm not Italian enough. So I'm just going to read them. Um, home at Grace, a, a class of membership Saturday Uh, November 5th, 9 to 12. So please, if you're interested in um, potential membership here with us, please mark that down, uh, Saturday, November 5th, 9 to 12. And starting point uh, on Sunday, September, excuse me, November 6th, after the worship for anyone who wants a quick glance at Grace Chapel. And then just also a reminder that the newsletter is, deadline is Monday, November 7th. Please email all submissions to the office. And when you see me up here, you're probably expecting some update on the search committee. Uh, Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So search committee. So you are a good-looking group of people. Um, Hence, I guess that's the reason we've got, since posting, reposting our position since middle of September, we've got 132 applicants. Um, And so the search committee is in the process of reading lots of resumes, doing lots of Skypes and discussions, we covet your prayers. We've had a Skype this past weekend with somebody from Ireland, so we were transatlantic. And we got a resume from South Australia, of which I personally volunteered to go and interview him in person. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, with that, there's an update. You probably saw something in the email. There'll also be an update in the, the newsletter. And with always, please reach out to the search committee if you have any questions, you wanna know anything more. But it is progressing. Um, it is good it is good we were thinking about this um, and contemplating the fact that how blessed we are as a church that we've got 130 some people who are who who have reached out to us and how other places in this world to find a single pastor you know would be would be just a, a joy so uh, we've got a great tremendous responsibility and we covet your prayers thank you
9: you hear me? Okay. My name's Jim. This is my wife Barbara, and this is our little puppy Bailey. Can you say hello to Bailey? (laughs) Bailey's a Yorkshire Terrier. She's about six and a half years old. She weighs about six pounds. And so, uh, first of all, how many of you have dogs at home? Uh, Two dogs. Okay. Lots of people have dogs. Dogs are great, aren't they? Yeah. But they're a lot of work, too. I mean, what are some of the things that you have to do if you have a dog? Yes. Feed and water them. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) What else? Yes. Take them on walks, right? Long walks in the morning, in the evening. Yes. What else? Take care of them, right? Clean up after them sometimes, right? Yes. What else? Yes. Our dog doesn't puke, of course, but... (laughs) <laughs> our, yeah, yes, what else? Pet them, right? Take good care of them? Okay, so today I thought, we would, uh, I thought I would tell you the story about how we got our dog, Bailey, and then Barbara's going to tell you a little bit more about what it's like to be with Bailey every day. So I have to tell you right off the bat, um, we got our dog from Michelle Kennedy. Is Michelle here this morning? Where is Michelle? Yes, there she is. I used to really like Michelle. <laughs> See, so Michelle has a, a dog grooming business here in town, and she takes care of dogs. And oftentimes, she finds dogs that need homes. And so she found Bailey, and she needed to find a family for this dog. And so one Friday night, I came home from work, and we had a dog in our house. <laughs> now, I never grew up with a dog. Secretly, I was a little bit afraid of dogs this when I was about your age. I didn't really want a dog, I know there's a lot of work and everything, so I thought, okay, who is this and why is this dog here? (laughs) My lovely wife said, this is Bailey, and don't worry, don't get nervous, she's just going to be here overnight. We're just going to babysit for her (laughs) overnight. Okay, that's fine. The next day, she was supposed to bring her back to Michelle and some family would adopt her. So, what do you think happened during that night? Yes. Well, yes, Barbara fell in love with Bailey. In the presence of this puppy, she fell in love with the puppy. So the next morning, when it was, you know, time to bring Bailey back to Michelle, she came up to me, Barbara did, and said, Honey, sweetheart, love of my life. Can we adopt Bailey? I said, "Sweetheart, no. We've had this conversation. They're too much work. We don't. I don't really want to take care of a dog. I thought we've had this conversation many times." She said, "Well, why don't you want to have a dog?" I said, "Well, you have to walk the dog. You have to feed the dog. You have to clean up after the dog. There's a lot of work that goes into it." And what do you think, Barbara said? "I'll do it exactly, (laughs) like a little child." She said, I'll take care of that. You won't have to do any of that stuff. And to her credit, Barbara has done everything for this dog. (laughs) Everything. She has done everything. Not once has she said to me, honey, I'm a little tired. Can you take Bailey out for a walk, please? And not once has she said to me, sweetheart, I really have to go. Can you feed the dog? Pretty please? And not once has she said to me, Bailey made a mess and it stinks. Can you clean it up? Pretty please with a cherry on top. So we've had Bailey for about five years, almost five years now. And you know what? An amazing thing happened. I fell in love with Bailey. She's a wonderful dog. Every morning she greets me in the morning. She hops up in bed with us. When I come home at the end of the day, she runs to the door and she barks and greets me. Even at night, she'll sit on my lap as I watch TV or read. Yes, did you want to say something? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Two big dogs, okay, well. (laughs) So I just have to emphasize that in the presence of Bailey, I fell in love with her. And so now Barbara's going to tell you a little story about Bailey, too.
4: So I get to spend lots of time every day with Bailey. I want you to repeat after me. There is joy in your presence. One more time. There is joy in your presence. Awesome. That's from Psalm 16, verse 11. Yep, 16, There is joy in your presence. That's going to be our takeaway memory verse for today, okay? But I want to talk to you a little bit about what it's like to be with Bailey during the day, She follows me everywhere I go. We walk together, we talk together, we eat together, we do everything together. She follows me like a shadow. And just last week when we were hanging out, we were out taking a walk, it hit me. She looks up to me for her every move, her every direction, for everything. She looks to me for everything, as if I were her life, as if I were her breath. I'm her safety, I'm the best for her, I'm her refuge. And in that moment, when I realized that, the Lord said to me, in my presence, there is joy. In my presence is where you are safe. In my presence, you have refuge. So just like Bailey looks up to me as her owner, as her master, we look up to, to Jesus, right? Sometimes we look to her too, but we, you know, we kind of realize that we need to look up to Jesus. And when we mess up and when she digs her heels in the ground and she doesn't want to walk and she just gets really, really stubborn, which you guys never do. But if that, you do. We have an honest person here in the crowd. If that ever happens to you, all we need to do is get back in his presence. What's our memory verse? There is joy in your presence. One more time. There is joy in your presence. Thank you for spending this time with us. I think we have a little something for you.
10: morning. You know, in the old days of vaudeville, when they would have all these acts, there was a standard rule in vaudeville that you never wanted to follow children or an animal. (laughs) Now, come on, Jim and Barbara. (laughs) Children and an animal? Uh, Wow. All right. I'm just going to do the best I can after that. We've already seen the highlight. So, um, great to be here with you. Um, Thanks for having me today. I want to dive right into our scripture reading I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 18. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And from the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with him, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers." Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted with him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land you will see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your precious words. I pray today, Lord, that your words would would move into our heads, down into our hearts, and then compel us to act. So we do love you and help us to love you so much that we obey what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's, there's parts of this story here of Abram and Lot that really astound me. In particular, where Abram says to Lot, look, let's not have any quarreling between us, okay? We can't be together, but we got this whole land before us. He says, so here's what. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, I am amazed by that, right? Because Lot has the, Abram has the advantage. He's the senior guy. So really, in a sports analogy, he gets the first draft choice. Okay? But he gives it to Lot. He says, you decide, okay? And whatever you take, I'll go in the opposite direction. Right now, like I said, that amazes me what freedom that is, what liberality of living to be like that. See, I want to live like that. Instead, I so often find myself fretting and finagling to try to work out outcomes that are favorable to me. And that's exhausting trying to get the advantage trying to get things not, hopefully not to hurt others, but certainly to make sure that things are the way that I want them to be. So what was it about Abram that allowed him to be so free? He understood the fundamental point. As long as God is with me, it really doesn't matter that if I am in the presence of God, I'm okay. Now, Lot was coming from a worldly perspective, so he did a practical consideration. He, there was good water. There was good land. Sodom and Gomorrah were there. There were occupied cities. There was entertainment. So Lot chooses practical considerations, right? And it says when Abram goes to his thing, his land, the first thing he does is he builds an altar to the Lord. You see, for the people of God, the presence of God is the decisive reality. It transcends circumstances. We sang in one of our songs today, I am not alone. I can't control my circumstances. Oftentimes, circumstances are different than I would choose. Sometimes they threaten to overwhelm me, but there's one thing that transcends that. They don't have to be just right because if God is with me and I am with Christ and I am in Christ, I'm okay. Right? This is the story of leaders throughout Scripture when Moses was given that stunning call to go back and bring the Israelites out of bondage to the promised land. God really gave them one promise. I'll be with you. That's it. I'll be with you. Okay? And, and Moses said this to the people before they were to take the promised land. He says, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt will be with you. That's it. Not that you have a secret weapon. Okay? not But God will be with you, the same God that took you out of Egypt, so you don't have to fear greater numbers. You don't have to fear overwhelming circumstances because you have God. And when Joshua had the daunting task of taking over for Moses, what does God say to him? As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, for for Israel, that reality, the the transcendent, first priority, presence of God, was embodied in the Ark of the Covenant. As long as Israel had the Ark, they were okay. If they lost the Ark, bad things started happening. They they had lost the presence of, of Yahweh, of God. David really understood this. David got it as well as any leader in Israel. That's why he took such great risks to to recapture the ark and bring it back to Jerusalem. It's also why when David, in his darkest moment, after his sin with Bathsheba, and his complicity in the death of Uriah, when he beautifully cries out to, to God in Psalm 51, he says these precious words do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David was not immune to sin. He chose sin, but his heart was still for God. He was, as Jamie said, a man after God's own heart. And he understood something. See, what I love about that line is he doesn't say, don't cast me out of the palace. Okay, Because David understands the only thing of real value in his life is the presence of God he understood that he could be a beggar on the streets of Jerusalem with God, he's okay. Or he could be in the palace of Jerusalem without God and he was ruined. Jesus came and that was Jesus' essence, right? Jesus said, I am with you always. I'm going to ask you to do these incredible things. I'm going to ask you to go to places you're afraid to go to. I'm going to ask you to to thrive and bear witness for me and bear fruit for me in circumstances that are utterly adverse. And here's how you're going to do it. I'm with you. Okay? And because Jesus came not to abolish the law and the prophets, not to abolish the ark, but to fulfill it, in, in one of the great verses in all of Scripture, Mark, when Jesus dies, Mark says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This stunning declaration that we can now enter the most holy place. We can live in the presence of God. So we find ourselves at these crossroads in life where we have to choose, are we going to be like Lot and and get consumed with practical considerations, or are we going to live in freedom like Abram and say, I'll I'll decide my best, but God's presence is what I'm really going to seek. And what I'd like to do today is look at the fact that we can either cultivate or curtail the presence of God in our midst. Now, we can't, God doesn't move to our dictates. We can't bring the presence of God, and we can't cast God out, but we can either cultivate or curtail God's presence. I think it's like this. I have a light switch in my house. Now, I am in no control over the fact that I have access to light. I mean, that has to do with power transmission plants and transmission lines and electrical realities that I won't even try to figure out, okay? I can't do anything about light. I learned this last Thursday night. This Thursday night, I was speaking at a banquet in Lake George. Snowstorm? And the power went out at the banquet. All they had was candles. That really changes things. Okay? You guys, amplification wasn't there. Okay? So I can't create light, but on some of my lights, I have a dimmer switch. And I can raise the level of the light or I can diminish it. I think in our own lives and certainly in our church lives, I can do things that elevates, cultivates God's presence or I can do things that I want to apply this to your search for a new pastor. Now, Jim gave us some good news, and that's great, but this has gone on for a while. okay? And this church now has to make a choice whether it's going to be consumed by practical considerations, like how long can we go without a pastor? We all have this date in our mind. It's been this long. We haven't had a pastor. How can a church thrive and bear great fruit for God in in kind of a competitive church world without a pastor? Or this church can say, what can I do as an individual to cultivate the presence of God in my midst, or what am I doing to tragically curtail the presence of God in my midst? Okay, and that's what I want to talk about today. I I have two grown sons, and I try to text them every morning a quote, a Bible quote, an inspirational quote, and one of my favorite ones is from uh, John Wooden, who was the legendary basketball coach of UCLA, and it's this. Don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. So if you're not on the search committee, you can't bring that pastor in. You can't make that happen or really even speed it up. So you can't really be thinking too much about that other than praying for it. But there is a whole lot you can do. And the most important thing you can do is you can elevate the presence of Jesus Christ in this church because that's the future of the church anyways. Because I would tell you, if Jesus is present in this church, it may never need a pastor. And if Jesus is not present, you could bring in a young Billy Graham and he'd be in big trouble. It's all about God's presence. That's, I've learned, is everything at a place like City Mission. It's everything. Because you can never get favorable circumstances. It is the nature of the ministry. We are inherently underwater. We are inherently faced with needs. We can't begin to change realities. We can't alter. We are not powerless because we can do things to nurture the presence of God. I miss, we had a chapel service Friday, there's a guy that lives at the mission. His assignment this whole summer was he had to work the front driveway where people make donations. That's a tough job in the summer because it gets hot on that blacktop. But this guy chose that he was going to memorize Psalm 119. Now, if you don't know, that Psalm has 176 verses. So it took him all summer. So a chapel service was his first recitation. We said, not all 176. We don't want to be here all weekend. So we're going to give him 25 verses. So we stood up there. And he looked at everybody, and he couldn't remember verse 1. And so Chaplain Tyrone jumped up and put his hand on his shoulder and prayed to him. And then it started coming. And it came beautifully. He did it beautifully. And when he was done, the residents were the first ones on their feet applauding. And then this tough street guy, the tears started pouring down his cheeks. He just started crying, saying, thank you, Lord. I said, that's the presence of God. That's something we can do. Now, please hear me. The presence of God doesn't mean that there aren't any messes or any issues. I would never say that at this church, because too many people at this church are involved with the mission. you got staff members. you got board members. you got volunteers. We're a mess. But I also know this. When God is present, he doesn't necessarily clean up messes. He enters messes, and redeems them and brings fruit from them. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas and never forget that first Christmas when God's presence became flesh. It was in the midst of the messiness of childbirth, the messiness of a stable, the messiness of animals, the messiness of shepherds who were living outside and yet it was holy. And it was redeemed. And it bore fruit. So how do we do it? Well, I quoted John Wood and now I'll quote my other hero, Greg Rowe. Greg told me something I've quoted here before probably about 15 years ago that changed my ministry and my life. He said, Mike, in the kingdom of God, if you want to make an <coughs> impact that is truly big, You have to think and act truly small. So what I want to talk about today is what things we can do that cultivate the presence of God and other things that curtail. The first thing that cultivates it is gratitude. Oh, gratitude is like a magnet to God. God dwells in the midst of grateful hearts. I I talked about this the last time I was here when I did the four-step process, the spiritual vitality, give thanks is the second one. So I'm not going to dwell on it too much, but gratitude is energizing. And I don't know about you, but I regularly need to check my gratitude level. Being at the mission is a good place for that. One of our graduates said recently that he was in his apartment slicing an orange, and he literally stopped and he said, oh, wow. A couple years ago, I was pulling origins out of the garbage cans. And now I bought my own orange. I'm slicing my own orange in my own apartment. How great is God's grace? I said, I needed to hear that. Because sometimes even when I say grace, I'm just consuming, right? I had a wonderful experience yesterday with an apple. I realized mean, was spiritual. I looked at this apple. I said, how many miracles have taken place that I could have this apple? First of all, that God not only would give us food to eat, but that it would taste good. Then I happened to live in an area where they grow their own apples. I came, I went right to the orchards like two miles from my house. Right? Oh, and it tastes so good, and I could afford to buy it. And, and my body can process it. How many miracles? Now, this gratitude isn't just when we have little things. It might be equally important. You might be going to dinner tonight in the best restaurant of the Capital Region. Great, but be grateful. I think it's almost hard to be grateful when it's a really big thing because you think how much it costs you. Okay, I mean, I go to McDonald's and I get a burger and the ketchup's spilling all over the bun. I said, well, you know, it cost me 99 cents. I go to a great restaurant and get a filet. And the juices are spilling over the plate. Oh, come on. <laughs> right? You may have a house at the ocean. Good. Grateful. Bask in the gratitude of it. God moves amongst grateful hearts and grateful people. What's the opposite? Complaining. Complaining will curtail the presence of God. Stephen Covey talks about the five emotional cancers: complaining, criticizing, comparing, contending and competing. I'm going to talk about a couple of those today. All right? Complaining drains places of their joy. Okay? You can complain about the timeline of a pastor search. Okay? But I'm telling you, it will will pull away the presence of God. God doesn't dwell amongst complaining hearts. If you look at that journey of the Israelites, whenever they disobeyed God, the next thing was grumbling. It was complaining. Okay? Every day we make a choice. I'm going to live in gratitude or I'm going to complain. I had an incredible experience with the difference. I was speaking out in Huzik Falls a couple weeks ago. Now, that is a poor community. And if that wasn't bad enough, they have this water crisis now. So even their water is at risk with the PFOAs. And so I went to speak at this breakfast, and this woman got up to speak, and she said she was consumed with the water crisis, and then she was going to the store to buy bottled water. And she said, the Lord put on my heart how blessed I was that I could go to a store that had bottled water, They had agencies investigating the problem, And how many places in the world do they not have water? So she started right in the midst of Hoosick Falls a program to put wells in Uganda. It says, from a heart of gratitude for what we have and for a heart of compassion for those who don't have. Right? She made that choice. I'm going to celebrate what we do have and think of others who don't have. So, So gratitude... Builds up God's presence and, and complaining diminishes it. Second one, humility. Humility amplifies God's presence. And what I really mean by humility is people who understand that their identity is in who they are in Christ. Okay? If my know, if my identity is in Jesus Christ, then my identity is not in my position, not in my reputation, not in my talents, all those things being good and fine, but my identity is the fact that I am a beloved son or daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I am inherently humble. Right? Because I realize that you are that too. I came up with a resolution that I'm trying to live out. My resolution is I cannot be slighted. You cannot slight me. You can hurt me. You can wound me, absolutely. But you can't slight me. What I mean by that is you can't ever give me less than I deserve. For two reasons. Number one, I'm playing to an audience of one that's Jesus Christ the end of the day it's his approval that matters that if I had his approval then almost nothing else matters and if I don't then all the applause and all the prestige and all the acclaim of all the world means nothing and the second reason why you can't slight me is well I know my true state I know who I am I know I'm a sinner saved by grace I've already been given much more than I deserve. So humility draws the presence of God. What curtails it? Criticizing. Criticizing others. And criticism normally flows from a sense that you're not giving me what I deserve. Okay? We become critics. Look, at, We're watching this presidential election, and we have watched criticism rise to the highest plane of our public discourse. We hear no notions of lofty aspirations for a people. We have not heard voices saying, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Lincoln in his first inaugural cried out to his people, we would live by the better angels of our nature. In our public discourse, the better angels of our nature have gone on vacation. We're responding to something different, so be it. So easy to become critics and become again a critical spirit and critical spirits diminish the presence of God in our midst. Now, does that mean we can't raise issues? Of course not, but here's what I think is the premise. You know when you're driving a car sometime and someone cuts right in front of you? What do you do? The horn. Now, there's one use of the horn, which is, hey, I'm coming. Stop. And that is okay. But there's another use of the horn that is, I want to make a statement. Now, a few years ago, I noticed I was doing something. That the volume of the horn and the length of the blow (laughs) was often based on who was in the driver's seat. If it was an elderly person, a little extra. If it was a woman, maybe a little extra. Someone that I said, I can take that person a little extra. If they had a sticker on their car that said judo champion, maybe not a horn at all. (laughs) If they had a gun rack, no horn. I suddenly realized, I'm doing that. Well, that's quite cowardly. So criticism can be like that. If you have something to say, in respect you go to the people who are responsible and you share your opinion. That has value. That has a place and a body life. Of course, we're not saying just follow blindly. But if you're expressing your discontent in the back room or with someone that can do nothing about it, that's not the way to respond. Let's call that what it is. That's cowardly. Okay? God does not thrive in a spirit of cowardice. That's why again and again God would say to his people, take courage. Do not be afraid. My right? people are courageous people because I am with them. And the last one that I want to say is loving kindness cultivates the presence of God in our midst, right? Loving the other for the other, okay? Not other people as a means to, to what I want, but others as an end unto themselves. When I, am, when I am loving other people, I abound in forgiveness, I abound in encouragement, I abound in service, and I'm able to celebrate the gifts of others rather than to be threatened by them. And that's one of the most important things for the presence of God is when we are surrounded by giftedness rather than being resentful because I don't have that gift or other people are giving them attention for that gift, I am able to celebrate it and say what gifts has God given me that I can bring into body life, right? It's a recognition of what I have received and I have the opportunity to freely give. I love this one passage where Moses is telling the Israelites how they should treat aliens and slaves and and foreigners, it says this. He says, treat them with loving kindness. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God has redeemed you. I hope you say that every day. I was a slave in the Egypt of my sins and my lostness and my despair. Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, has redeemed me. How can I not pour myself out towards others? How can I not abound in loving-kindness? And the opposite of it is competing. Now, competition is a good thing. It's great. It can bring out the best in us, but there's a different form of competition where I'm competing for my way, for my attention. Instead of being someone who reflects the light of Christ and shines on others, it's one of the greatest worships of God. Right? We choose, to me, the ultimate body life is Romans twelve. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep, and that cultivates the presence of God in our midst. Now, these are just very illustrative. There's so many things. Prayer cultivates the presence of God. Worship does. It goes on and on. I'm just trying to make a point that every day, every one of us in this church is either going to cultivate God's presence in this place or we're going to curtail it. And God gives us the freedom freedom to make that choice. I want to close with one last little story about the power of God's presence. So I'll I'll come back to the mission. And again, I want to say the mission is a very broken place with, with a lot of issues. But it's great thrill is watching God do things through his presence that you can never manufacture. We had a college group come up from Pennsylvania, Misericordia College, and these are not Christian students, but they come for a couple days and they come and work all day at the mission. And it's it's amazing that when they're done, they send these emails back to one of our staff and you hear these testimonies after testimonies about coming to Christ because of what they saw in the lives of the residents. And it's never about the fact that, wow, your buildings were so nice. Wow, your leaders were so eloquent. Matter of fact, I can't get in their emails. And I preach to those kids. I never make their emails. (laughs) It's about what they're seeing in their midst. And one young lady sent her email and said, I have not followed God. But after two days there, I came home. I did my normal routine before I go to bed. And when I put my head on the pillow, two words came out of me that I had not said in a very long time. Dear Lord, she talked about pouring forth her heart to God, and her heart to then go find a church where that could become part of her life something about the place that entering the presence touched something in her heart that couldn't be touched otherwise. When people come to this church, it is good to have quality worship and you have it here. It's good to have good preaching and you have it here and you will have it and these will be credentials the new pastor brings, but what people really need, what they can't get from the world, enter and to be transformed by the presence of God. And after being in this place, that they would not simply say words of appreciation, but they would dare to cry out, Dear Lord, let's pray. Lord, how astounding that you want to be with us, that your presence surrounds us, And perhaps even more astounding is the fact that you give us the power to enhance it or curtail it. Oh, dear Lord, let us never get caught up in secondary things that we miss the most important thing. Help each one of us by grace, by mercy, and by your love to be people who every day in small ways and large are always cultivating your presence. And giving those who come here and those we encounter the greatest gift of all, an encounter with the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
11: So please stand with us and let's enter God's presence before we leave this place one more time and sing together um, to God. And the chorus of this says, we cry out your name. So let's cry out his name together and just worship him as we leave.
6: Thank you, as always, for being here. It's a pleasure to have you preach, and um, Chris and Kira will be up front uh, if you want to pray. And um, I hope that you have enjoyed being in the presence of God with his people today. And as you go, you go uh, still in his presence. And the good news is that one day you will actually see him face to face in his presence as I'm looking at you right now. And so go with this blessing from the book of Jude. Now to him, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen and amen, amen. amen. Have a happy Sunday. समस्या
11: you will be